Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, hello, hello. Like they said, Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Uh, now, today I get to travel internationally uh, via the airwaves all the way to Greece. My guest today is Karina Cantus. She is the author of the uh, popular Outlaw series uh, of books, uh, thrillers that are involving outlaw motorcycle clubs. Now, uh, Karina's story is so much larger than these books, though. It's inspirational. And uh, I'm, I just truly commend her for all that she's gone through, and she's still kicking butt out there. Uh, she has an inner uh, spirit and personal determination that has allowed her to push through her life circumstances, and she's here today to share her story with us, and I thank her in advance for making time to hang out with me. Karina, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Thank you, Lan. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, thank you. So you're all the way over in uh, Greece. What time is it there now? It's now 9 p.m., 9 p.m. Okay, awesome, awesome. Now, there's a little bit of an accent that I'm assuming that is not Greek. So, and I and I know in your bio, you're originally you're originally from the UK, right? So, how, how I long, am, yeah, oh, born and bred. <laughs> born and bred. How long? How long were you? Well, I guess I should ask. At what age did you travel from the UK to Greece? I came over to Greece, uh, the island of Corfu, for a holiday when I was. Uh, 18 and a half, about, and uh, I met my now husband. Okay, and you just fell in love with Greece, or was it the man that kept you there? Uh, I think it was both. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, um, 18, and just on a, a holiday, a vacation, I guess us Americans should say, um, it, was it uh, like a graduation from high school, or, or what, what, what brought you to Greece? I I just broken up with my first ever boyfriend. We were together for I think three and a half years, um, and so I needed a break. So I took my sister on a holiday to Greece, and it was actually the first time either of us had flown. So it was a it was a really good experience all around. <laughs> well, we see because you met your husband there, so it had to be wonderful. So. Um you were 18 and a half when you went to Greece, and you, you meet this the love of your life. And uh, it was not long after you got to Greece that, uh, you know, things started to kind of fall apart. But first of all, let me let me let me backtrack a little bit here. This this wonderful man that you met uh, on vacation on holiday there in Greece. Um, what you said, I think I read in the bio that he was a Greek barman. What for us Americans, what, what exactly is that? Is it a bartender? It's a bartender, yes. He was a bartender in a cocktail bar. And of course it was my, because it was my first holiday and I, I had to ask for the obvious cocktail, which uh, I won't uh, go into, but I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. And um, that sort of, uh, sort of broke the ice and uh, we got chatting. There's a lot of flirtation and, and I was there for two weeks and we were just inseparable. Okay. Okay. So you were there for two weeks. So you went back home, and then and then you were so in love, you came back. Um, actually, before I I left Corfu, I knew I was coming back. So I basically went home to tell my family I was leaving to quit my job. Yeah, it was a hundred percent. I was going back. And mom and dad just said, "Okay, we support you with that one, right?" <laughs> I <laughs> I was living with my I was living with my father at the time, and I think he was. Um, he would, I think he's worried about my safety more than anything else. 
Okay. But, um, you know, once uh, you've, you've passed that age, you can basically, it's up to you what you want to do with your life. There's not much uh, talking out of it. Okay, lovely, lovely. So you, you go back to Greece and uh, six months into your trip there, um, you're living with your boyfriend and uh, tragedy starts to uh, strike. I think you started to get ill. Now I'm wondering, what, what was going on with your body? What made you first go to the doctor? What were you noticing? It was, I mean, it was stressful life over here. It was such a, such a change. The um, the language, not being able to speak the language, not being able to communicate with people. Um, and even though these people knew English, they wouldn't make any time and speak in English. So I would be joined in with the conversation. So that was a stressful part. And I think it was just stress overall in the body just the change of uh, food the environment and and everything that was going with me mentally and physically that my body just uh, just worn down and um the first uh, symptoms i had was um being thirsty a lot and and just constantly drinking mm-hmm. and then i had ulcers on my tongue and uh, i was like oh, there's something not quite right with this so i was going to the toilet then i was drinking or going to the toilet and um it got to the stage where I just, I was so exhausted. Um, I just felt like my body was a, a ton of weight, you know, mm-hmm. that I couldn't move around. I didn't have the energy to move. Um, so that's when uh, we went to see the first doctor. Okay. Okay. Now, I, I want to backtrack a little bit. You said something that I'm just curious about, so this is so sidebar, but you said you were really struggling. You had a lot of stress when you first got there because people didn't, um, you didn't speak the language. Um, is, is Greece a country where uh, foreigners are not welcome or, or, or inviting? <laughs> no, not at all. What, what oh. it was? No, uh, Greece is, oh, the, the people here are just amazing. Okay. Um, what, what it was is, um, my husband works in a tourist resort. Okay. And so his family had only seen English girls behave like English tourists do on an 18 to 30s club holiday. Oh, I see. I understand now. Okay. So they, they already had the, a bad um, a conception. Exactly, of me before they even met me. Okay, I understand now. I was like, okay, I, you know, it's like, okay, it's that not, not a good place to come and visit. I've heard so many positive things about Greece now. Oh, it's such on, a what's beautiful <laughs> place, yeah. Okay. The people, the Greek people are just so, so lovely and the mentality they have and their strength and, oh yeah, lovely place. Okay, okay. So we, we're going to go back here. So you'd started to, um, you know, feel thirsty. You were going to the restroom all the time and you had ulcers on your tongue. So that's what took you to the doctor um, initially. Now, when you get to the doctor, what does the doctor uh, say that you have? The doctor um, said that I had uh, influenza with complications. The flu with complications? Yes. Hmm. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, so then my my now husband, he wasn't at the time, um, went and uh, to the chemist with all this prescription. Come back with just syrups and tablets and just about ten different things to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was around about the third or fourth day of taking all this medication where I started actually being sick. Now, when you say you were sick, what what symptoms were you having? What was going on with your body? I was just vomiting, uh, okay. even though there was nothing coming out. I was just retching. Mm-hmm. Um, again, uh, I had blurred vision as well. Uh, my eyesight suddenly disappeared. 
it's a really, really scary time because I didn't know what was going on. And it was hard to explain what was happening to me to other people unless they'd experienced it themselves. Mm-hmm. So it was, I mean, my, my husband, he was just so worried that we went to see another doctor. And luckily, and I thank God for this, that uh, he saw the symptoms straight away of what was the problem. And he said to my husband, he said, uh, take her down to emergency right now. So, okay. okay. So what did that doctor say the problem was? He, he didn't actually tell. He didn't uh-huh. actually say. Uh, he knew what it was, but he didn't actually tell us. So I was in the car on the way to the hospital and I was drinking uh, Lucozade. I don't know what you have. Like Gatorol. Is it Gatorol you have? In the it's US? A, it's, I, I, I Googled it. It's like an energy drink, like a sports it's energy drink. Men- yes, exactly. It's a sport energy drink. And, of course, it's full of sugar. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's me sipping it, trying to think I'm going to actually get out of the car and walk into the hospital. Um, before I even got into the hospital, I collapsed on the floor. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the sugar, the sugar is the problem. So the doctor, so I'm going to assume that the, the second doctor knew what was wrong with you, but he wasn't saying, but that was the first indication of diabetes there with the sugar and, and the sports drink? Yeah, exactly. Well, I had all the symptoms and the medication that I was taking from the first doctor was sugared syrup. So that was taking uh. my sugar levels even higher in the car because I wasn't told what it could be. I was then drinking sugar drink. Um, the doctor at the, the emergency department, he said if my husband hadn't brought me in when he did, I wouldn't be talking to you now. Mm-mm-mm. So mm-hmm. you're, you're like 19 at this time and you get diagnosed with diabetes? Yeah, I was 19. Is there a family history or anything? Not at all. I, in, from the, from the immediate family and ancestors, um, nothing. No one had had diabetes. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, wow. So we, we, we collapse before we get into the hospital. And so I'm assuming they run some tests and find out that you have diabetes. Were you in the hospital for a while after this or? I was in, I was in there for, uh, um, a week, but when I went into the emergency department, it's like what you see on TV. All of these doctors and nurses doing one thing or another to me, taking blood, put me on a drip, taking my temperature, asking me questions. It was very, very frightening. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess your, your then boyfriend was saying, wow, this is a, a great way to start a new relationship, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, thankfully, he's uh, he's always been uh, 100% with me and I've never... I've never had him turn around and say, oh, no, what did I do? And have second <laughs> thoughts or anything. Even with even now with everything we've gone through, he's just he's just amazing. I'm so lucky. <laughs> awesome. 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 So you're in the hospital for about a week. And uh, when does somebody first say to you it's it's diabetes? Um, I think when I start coming around, because, okay. of course, the I was so high in sugar that I was very close to going into a diabetic coma. And when I when they gave me the insulin, I started coming around. And then um, I think it, I don't know if it was a nurse, a doctor, or my husband. Someone told me that uh, you have diabetes. Mm-mm-mm. So now you're 19, and you have to change your whole 
lifestyle here with the diabetes. So when you yes. get when you get discharged from the hospital, um, at that point in time, diabetes is the only health issue that you are working with. Yeah, at that time, I've been healthy up till then. Okay, so um, your your regiment for your diabetes after you leave the hospital, what was that like for you? The whole of the diet had to change. Okay. Now, um, were you were you the shot diabetic or the taking a pill diabetic? Unfortunately, the doctor said that if I if they got it the first time I went to see the first doctor, I'd be on pills and diet alone. Okay. But because I was so far gone and my pancreas just stopped producing insulin completely, I'm on um, uh, di- type one diabetic insulin injections, and I'm taking um, four a day at the moment. Four shots a day? Yeah. Oh, poor baby. <laughs> poor baby. Four shots. So have, has it always been that way for you over the years? Oh, it's changed. I mean, you see one doctor and they tell you one thing and they change your medicine. You go to see another and they change your insulin again. So it's never been just this is what you're taking and this is how much. The measurements go up and down. The insulin changes. Okay. So at this point where you're at now, um, how many years has it been now? Oh, um, pass. I'm 42 now. Okay. A lot. No, like she says a lot. <laughs> so is, is it is it manageable for you now? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Okay. All righty. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. Karina, stay with me, and I'll be right back to talk more about your life in Greece. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Like they said, I'm Lana Reed. And today I'm hanging out with the author of the uh, popular outlaw book. novel series, Miss Karina Kansas, and before we went to commercial, uh, she was telling about uh, her journey to Greece and her first uh, diagnosis uh, with uh, diabetes. Now, uh, Karina, when you, you got out the hospital and you're, you're on your insulin treatments and everything, you would say, okay, this is it, you know, health-wise, if I have to deal with something, diabetes, okay, I, I can do this. But life was really not so kind. Um, you know, some other things started to fall apart for you health-wise. Uh, what was the, the next thing that came into your life that kind of threw you a gut punch? Well, um, even though I was accepting everything and getting on with things, I mean, you still have the, oh, why me? What did I do wrong? Yes. You have to feel like that. Mm-hmm. I I thought maybe that if I don't leave Greece now, I'm going to end up in a body bag. I mm-hmm. honestly thought that that there's something wrong with me living here okay. that's going to just, um, you know, finish me. Mm-hmm. But um, but I fought it, and, and I, you know, I, I, I love the place, I love the people, and, and, and I love my husband, my now husband. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I still had a lot of stress in my life, especially now, because it was – you couldn't tell somebody that I was diabetic. It was hush-hush. Really? Really, yeah. Honestly, the the stigma and the way they treated it, and basically, I mean, I was told. Well, he was told to get rid of me. Hmm. 
you know, and, and, and culturally, culturally, you know, like I, I, I'm, diabetes is very common here in America. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of people dealing with it. So it's very interesting to hear that you had been stigmatized for it over there um, in that country. So it was to the point where you were possibly saying, maybe I need to move away from Greece. I mean, it, it was that much pressure. It wasn't so, I mean, once my husband turned around and said to his family, look, you can say what you like. You don't want us here, we'll go. And he was ready to just uh, pack up and come over to the UK with me. Oh, wow. wow. But um, but we, we stayed and, uh, well, we did go back to the UK for a while, but this is all, this is just going off the, <laughs> the uh, what we were talking about. I don't want to lose my train of thought, which is a horrible symptom so let me just go back to where I was. <laughs> That's all right. Together we're we're gonna keep it on task. Together we're gonna do, we're gonna do some teamwork. Okay. 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 So um, yeah. So the next thing which apparently comes with diabetes is the problem with your thyroid. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know that they were connected. Um, I'd again never had. Never knew anything about having a thyroid problem, but my hair was falling out and I put on lots of weight. And uh, again, I had no energy. I couldn't get out of bed. You know, it was like I was, I don't know if my husband ever felt that way, but I felt like he might have thought I was lazy. Mm, okay. But it was, it was actually my illness that was making me that way. So the same doctor that I was seeing at the time for my diabetes actually started treating me for my thyroid. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. Um, now that you've spent some time with this now, some maybe 20 years or so, um, are the doctors, the medical profession in Greece, pretty uh, competent or knowledgeable about diabetes and the complications with it, or is it really a new or un- unusual phenomenon in the, the medical f- uh, field there? Um, at the time, um, the only doctors I could see were private doctors, and of course they were expensive. Um, the doctors at the hospital they weren't um, they were just uh, treating inpatients okay. and um, so so my doctor was private, and so you couldn't afford to see him as often as you'd want. Okay. Um, from what I know, I don't remember of him doing any extra you know, courses or anything to keep up with new things. Okay. Um, but uh, now, I mean, now it's totally different. Now I have the best team of doctors from the local hospital that I could wish for. Okay. Now, you, you mentioned off-tangent that you and your uh, to now husband did quickly go back to the UK for a little bit. Did you get any medical treatment there for your condition? Oh, yeah, I had to um, start off at the diabetic centre um, because I was living there. I was had to go and and uh, they had no records of me, so we had to start from scratch. But um, there is so much help in the UK for diabetics. They okay. have their own little clinics. They have the free, the free insulin, the free um, testing your blood um, needles, the mm-hmm. strips, the machines, everything, and they are on call 24-7. They will ring you up just to get your measurements. Okay, okay. (laughs) They're amazing, yeah, in the (laughs) UK, definitely. So mentally you were a little bit, uh, you know, put at ease when you were back home in uh, the UK as far as your medical condition then? As far as the medical condition, yes. 
Okay. She said as far so as far as everything else. No. <laughs> exactly. Well, you see, I just I didn't want to cause any problems between him and his family. I see. And feeling like I wasn't wanted, um, we actually broke up for a while. Okay. Yeah, and that's why I went back to the UK. Um, the moment I walked into the front door with my suitcases, my husband phoned the house. Mm-hmm. And I got cards every single week, you know, with Miss You and I Love You. Uh-huh. And, you know, so it was obvious that we were still together, even though we had... Um, uh, moved away from one another. Okay. Now, how how long were you in the UK before you went back to Greece? Um, well, my husband came over as well, and we were working, and we were both working in the same place. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think for for about six months till we okay. went back. Okay. Now, when you you and him went back to Greece, and you've had this uh, different kind of medical care in the UK. Uh, were you able to get similar care now in Greece or maybe even communicate with the doctors, this is what I need or, you know? No, it was, it was basically more of the same. But okay. because I had the care that I did in the UK, um, they actually taught me how to look after myself better. Okay. And they, they told me th- different things to what I'd been told from the doctors in Greece. So by the time I got back to Greece, I was able to look after myself. And all I needed to do then was to go for regular blood checkups and um, give him my results and he can tell me what needed changing. Okay, an educated and and informed patient. Awesome. Exactly. I looked after myself once I got back. Okay. So you have the diabetes first and then the thyroid and then what complications start to happen next after that? Right. Uh, <laughs> next, it was um, um, I was pregnant with my second child, mm-hmm. and I started getting a lot of pains around the pelvis area, and it hurt when I walked. It was like something was clicking. You could actually, I actually felt something clicking every time I walked. Um, it got to the stage where I just couldn't leave the house because of the pain. So um, went to see a private again, um, gynecologist, talked with her and she says, I think you have, uh, I think it's, uh, what's it called, SMP, it's a, a pelvic disorder, mm-hmm. um, symphonic or pelvic disorder, I think it's called. So, and I already told her that I was going back to the UK um, because of the diabetes, I wanted to have a good pregnancy and not have any complications. Then with the other health problems, and now with this pelvic disorder, I thought the best place for me would be in the UK. Okay. So let me ask you this. As a diabetic and uh, as a female, do you have to take extra care of yourself with the diabetes when it comes to pregnancy? Yeah. I mean, there are some... I say lucky people that when they have a pregnancy, they have a diabetic pregnancy so that when after they've had the baby, they don't have it anymore. That's why I refer to them as lucky. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I had to I had to look after myself more. I had more regular checkups. I had more um, scans for the actual baby to check the growth and everything being diabetic. Um, and like I say, I've had people calling me up. Um, like an alarm in the morning 
of saying, can you test your blood now and tell me what it is? You know, it's just like I couldn't believe the way I was being treated over there. It's just just absolutely amazing. The healthcare was just tops. I couldn't fault it at all. And this is when you're in the UK. So, yeah. Okay. So you're pregnant now with the second uh, child and you say, I'm going to go back to um, the UK. And, and you also have this doctor in your OBGYN in Greece telling you that she, she thinks you have SMP. So when you get to the UK, what does the doctor determine that it is? Exactly the same thing. Um, it's known over in the UK. There are many uh, pregnant women that suffer from it. Um, By the time I had my appointments at the uh, clinics, I was actually being pushed in a wheelchair because I could not walk. Mm. So is it something that uh, arises because of the pregnancy? Is it temporary with the pregnancy or is it it's a lifelong thing after? Well, I mean, some people do suffer from it lifelong. Others, um, it can disappear Um, Not everyone gets it. It's something to do with the growth of the baby and stretching your actual pelvic, the bones. Okay. So your second daughter, she knows exactly how much mom really loved her, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) She's all that I went through for you, right? Uh, Luckily, I've never had to say that. No, no, I have a... I have my angel and I have my butterfly, two amazing girls. Awesome, awesome. So what kind of – so you were in um, the U.K. for the entire pregnancy? Yeah, I had the baby. I was staying at my father's at the time. Um, I had the baby, uh, stayed with my father and my uh, stepmom. She was unfortunately diagnosed with cancer while I was there. Mm. Yeah, it was a very – it was a very unusual and – not a sort of atmosphere that you'd want a new baby in mm-hmm. because um, it was terminal um, and she'd only been told that. Uh, so my dad was just going through his things. Kay was going through hers and I was going through mine with my yeah. new baby. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it wasn't um, it wasn't great circumstances of the uh, birth and bringing home uh, Alexia. Emotional up and down roller coaster at that moment. Oh, in life. totally. Awesome. Okay, okay. All righty, Karina, we're going to take another commercial break. Hang in there with me. We'll be right back right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Like they said, I'm your host, Lana Reed, and today's guest is Karina Kansas. She is the author of the popular outlaw novel series, and uh, Karina has been sharing, uh, you know, just that, okay, what else can go wrong story with us. <laughs> now, Exactly. <laughs> you know, you, you, you've had the baby, the second baby, you're in the U.K., and um, I'm going to assume at some point in time you, you come back to Greece after everything is settled. And life is roses, right? There's nothing else that could possibly go wrong with your health, right, after this, this one. Right? That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was a lovely, quiet um, uh, one year. One year. Oh, wow. Wow. One year. Life gives Karina no breaks at all, no downtime. Uh, what happened after the year? Well, 
I didn't know at the time. I mean, it, was, it was nearly three years later when I finally got diagnosed with this condition. But um, it was just more of the same, being uh, tired, not having energy, um, the pains in my pelvis area. Um, I thought I was pregnant again, to tell you the truth, because, uh, of course, I've been through it and I knew what it was. And because I was pregnant the first time with it, I assumed I was pregnant again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, we did one test. It wasn't, and I wasn't happy with that, so I did another test. <laughs> I was so certain. Um, and uh, I did uh, blood tests and, and urine tests and everything, but it was definitely not a pregnancy. So I was like, well, what's going on? And uh, then I find out, um, thankfully, with some amazing groups, uh, support groups uh, online, that um, it isn't just a – it's not always just a one-shot deal that uh, people can suffer from it uh, after pregnancy. But I had one, I think, one, one and a half years of no pain, and then it just came back with full force. Mm-mm-mm. And this time the pain was because of uh, what – no, I was still diagnosed with um, the um, pelvic disorder. They okay. had an X-ray, and it actually showed the gap of the uh, between the pelvic bones, which was was causing the pain. Um, then I had um, re- well, we thought it was repetitive strain injury for the last five years, and that was we said we caused from all my writing. Um, you know, when you're on the keyboard too often yes, uh-huh. and you don't move around. So this was on my right shoulder and I did um, four lots of physio for that until I was diagnosed with this other condition. So you had the repetitive strain injury, you had the pelvic and then you had arthritis um, in uh, the hips and my, lower legs. My goodness, my goodness, my yes. goodness, Miss Karina. Okay, so we've diabetes we've got the thyroid we've got the, the the hip and the shoulder and you that's it right nothing else can go wrong with Karina no uh, what <laughs> I, I laugh about it now but um, I mean so many people have this condition and don't even know they have it or it's, it's waiting to be diagnosed mm-hmm. um, because all of the symptoms that I was having were the symptoms of the diabetes and thyroid. Okay. So everything's kind of stemmed from that? Everything that you have after that came from the fact that you have? No. Oh. No, you see. It was they didn't diagnose me of this condition because they assumed all the symptoms I was having was because of my diabetes and thyroid. Oh. Okay. But when when I was finally diagnosed with this, they turned around and said it has nothing to do with your diabetes. Hmm. So, um, again, I went to uh, about eight different doctors and I went off the island to mainland Greece and saw specialists over there. And we did about six months, um, spent a lot of money um, to finally get a diagnosis of fibromyalgia. Okay. Now, the symptoms that you were having that led you to go off the island for the fibromyalgia, what, what were you, what was your body going through at that time? I was just, I was in just so much pain, not just with my uh, shoulder, but uh, with uh, walking my hips, my, um, my pelvis. Um, I was, wasn't sleeping. Um, 
I, I was hardly sleeping. I had depression. Um, I started having problems with uh, my memory. Um, so, yeah, I was just, <laughs> I was a wreck, yeah. Okay. So when you go off the island and the doctor uh, diagnoses you with fibromyalgia, uh, what, what becomes the treatment plan for that? I, it's, it's funny really because I actually diagnosed myself. Okay. Yeah, I know some people say don't do that, but <laughs> my best friend, um, actually has fibro and, um, he recognized the symptoms and he said, oh, I think you might have that. So then of course I did my research online, uh, found out you know, what was what it was about and what caused it and uh, what you did for it and everything. And it said you either go and see a um, a, a rheumatologist or a neurologist. So this, again, was outside, private, because the hospitals don't have a, a, gyne- a rheumatologist. So I went there and I, I said to my husband, this is what I've got, but let's just go there, see her. I'm not going to say anything, see what she says. There is no blood test that confirms you have this condition. There is no um, x-ray that you can do to show that you have this condition. The only way is by your symptoms and by what they call a trigger test. Okay. That's touching certain parts of the body and to see if there's pain. Now, I knew where I had pain, but when this um, rheumatologist was examining me and touching me in places I did not have pain, I screamed out. Mm. I was shocked myself. I was like, yeah, but I don't hurt there. Why is it hurting now? And. We sat down and she said straight away to me and my husband, you have fibromyalgia. Wow. Mm -hmm. I know Karina's like, what else could possibly go wrong? All righty, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be back with more Karina Kansas, the author of the Outlaw Novel Series, right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to Don't Box Me In. Uh, like I said, I'm Lana Reed, and today I'm hanging out with Karina Kansas. She's written the uh, popular Outlaw novel series, and uh, we have been learning today about uh, the plethora of medical conditions that has unfortunately plagued her life but it's just amazing that she's just just so positive sounding in her voice about it and she's continued to to bear up through it all now you know Karina you were telling us that you had gotten diagnosed with fibromyalgia and um, you know me personally I'm just listening to your story and I'm just saying like you know what what else could you know like what else could this woman possibly take you can't you can't bear possibly anymore um with, with the fibromyalgia, what, you know, what kind of treatment plan do they put you on? Is it a series of medication or? There's, um, just like they can't tell you what caused it, they can't cure it. Okay. It is a condition that affects the muscles and the whole of the nervous system in the body. Um, what they can do and what they have done is they take some of the symptoms and there are a list of 50 plus 
and they give you medication to try and relieve the symptom because, like I say, they can't just suddenly shut it off. Um, so in the end, you have then this massive cocktail of drugs that you're taking all day that turn you into a zombie. Um, and it's, it's finding the balance, really, of, um, of its acceptance and then it's getting on with things. And it's trying to get on with your life while coping with this condition. I mean, at the time when I was first diagnosed, I mean, I was able to get around and I had pain and I had the memory problems and I had the um, no sleeping, the fatigue, um, the depression, IBS, all of the symptoms of fibro. But they were mild compared to where I am now. Oh, wow. I I did not realise that this fibro would basically set, set my life just come to an almost complete stop. So um, tell me, tell me, Corinne, what what is a with all of this? What what is a bad day for you? <laughs> bad day um, will be not being able to get out of bed. Um, you haven't slept for twenty four hours. Um, you've had pain, you've used the tiger balm, you've used the heat blanket, you've, you're on codeine, nothing is helping with the pain, so you're just laying in bed, trying to sleep, letting your mind drift off if it can, or just laying there, and then it's you have to get up to go to the toilet, um, you're hurting when you get out of bed and you have to walk, um, I can't shower by myself. I can't wash my own hair. This isn't on bad days. This is now. Mm. I uh, I have problems getting up and down the stairs because uh, we have uh, quite steep steps and, and I find them difficult. So on bad days, I don't come downstairs. I stay upstairs and I have my dinner up there and my kids come up there and they've just taken it in their stride, you know. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> But it's it's I mean it's been hard on everyone. I mean my eldest has had to grow up a lot quicker than she should. She's only twelve, and thinking that I've had this three years now. She was very young when her mummy stopped, and I do I feel like I've stopped being a mum because I can't do mum things. I've stopped being a good wife because I can't do the household very often. I can't look after my husband like I should, as like a woman should. So, it, you know, it's a, it's a very deliberating condition and it can, you know, it can take over. And it, I didn't realise that it would be as bad as it is now. I didn't know that it's just going to deteriorate every year. Okay, okay. But, um, you know, the beauty in all of this, and I, I can hear it in your the story is it sounds like uh, you have a wonderful support system and family around you that em embraces you throughout all of this oh my gosh I, I can't thank God enough for the family I have been given my my two daughters my eldest and my little one who's only six mm -hmm. they are the most amazing girls they are so understanding um, not just with this situation but they're, they're good girls anyway you know, and there's no sisterly uh, fights or anything between them. It's like they they know what mummy can take and what mummy can't take, and they make sure, you know, sometimes they have to tread eggshells around me because noise bothers me. 
um, uh, the sounds bother me. It's, it's because it affects the whole nervous system. It's not just about the body. It's about sight, hearing, smell, touch. Sometimes my skin feels like it's on fire. Mm. Sometimes it feels so sore, like I have sunburn, and yet I don't. But yeah, it's uh, my husband. He's not a typical Greek. Um, you know, a typical Greek will be, you know, the the woman stays uh, in, the man goes to work. I see. At, you know, but he well, he's never like that to begin with. Um, but um, to to what he's taken on and how he's handled things, I am so blessed. I really am. And I, you know, days when. I feel better and, and I can do things. The problem is I shouldn't because if I if I feel 100% and I start doing housework and I start walking around and, mm-hmm. and acting like life how, how it should be for someone my age, mm-hmm. then I could then be put out for another week, week and a half. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So before um – I, I want to make sure I, I get it, uh, give you a moment to talk about another one of the small joys in your life that I, I'm, I'm assuming that has helped you get through some of this, and that's your writing. Um, you, you've been writing this series of books. Um, how long have you been at this writing thing? I started taking my writing seriously uh, when I first came to Greece because it, I live in a village on an island, and uh, I didn't know anyone, and it was so very, very lonely. And I have two talents, and one was writing and one was singing. Okay. And I thought, well, I've got to start working on one of those to to keep me busy. Okay. Um, and I thought, well, there's no good me doing singing because I'd have to speak Greek and sing Greek songs. Mm-hmm. So that was a definite out. <laughs> uh, so I thought, well, you know, you've been writing stories for many years. Why not try and get something published? And it went on from there. So I would think I was about 20 when I published when I had my first publication which was actually a, a film review in a magazine okay uh, and once I got that check and once I was able to call myself a published author you know yourself Lana how yes. you, you can't <laughs> nobody could understand what that feels like yes indeed it is it is a very empowering feeling it really really is so after that there was just no stopping me and um, I've just published my last book um, a couple of months ago, and that is m- number eight. Okay. Now, let me, your, your style of writing, the, the, the books that you write, it's very unique. Uh, what, what do you call the genre of, of book that you write? Well, I'm, I'm not a one-genre author. I'm a very, uh, how you call it, pro- prolific uh, writer. Okay. I have, um, I have the series of uh, Outlaw uh, the Outlaws, which is uh, motorcycle club thrillers, uh, which are about outlaw motorcycle uh, clubs. Like um, you hear of them, Harley Dave, um, yes. Harley, uh-huh. um, Hell's Angels, Hell's Angels. Uh, yeah. yeah, Mongols, and what have you. Um, I don't, uh, of course, I don't mention them in the book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is all fiction. This is all fiction. But um, yeah, I write. Uh, I write about that. I write about characters that feel like that they've never belonged anywhere. That they've been looking for a family, looking for something that they've never had. Um, they feel like outcasts, and then suddenly they meet this 
band of brothers or sisters even for lawless justice it's actually sisters and they feel wanted and they feel loved and they feel respected so what if they have to break the law you know so, so what, what? If, they, if they have to yeah so what if they have to you know do bad things you know oh. to get to keep that respect and keep that love mm-hmm. um they had to fight for it they have to um you know what what is it, what is um, expected of them so, so it's many, all romances are, as well. How many books are in the Outlaw, Outlaw series? The Outlaw series, there are four books. Um, it starts off as an urban thriller, which is uh, more young adult, mm-hmm. which is well, actually my first book I published uh, in times of violence. And then Huntress is goes a bit more deeper into the um, the outlaw side. Um, it, it's also a um, a romance. Um, Lawless Justice. Now, I'd done two books where it was all about the, the males. And I thought, no, let's, let's, let's have some kick-ass women that take control. <laughs> you know, why should it always be for the men? There you so, go. <laughs> so Lawless Justice, uh, came out and, oh, I had so much fun writing that because mm. I put myself in the character's shoes and I was able to, um, <laughs> Do things and be someone that I'm not, mm-hmm. but in my book, and this is the same with when someone reads my book, I allow them to leave their reality and come into a world that they've never experienced and to, to, you know, to let loose and to do things that they would never do in real life. Okay. So, so that was a four book. And then I have, um, two, um, short story collections. That's uh, Heads and Tails and Undressed. I have a young adult uh, supernatural thriller, Stone Cold. And then my last novel, which came out two months ago, is a romantic fantasy, and that's Illusional Reality. Okay. Now, just curious, you know, when you were in your better days of health there, um, I'm wondering where this motorcycle thing came from. Were you a motorcycle chick? I uh, had a bike before I got ill. I had a uh, Virago 250. Okay. Uh, I was never a member of a motorcycle club, but from a very, very young age, I have been around bikers. Okay. Um, okay. And then I used to sing in a rock band as well, so I used to hang out in uh, biker bars. and So it's always been part of my life. I've always had the passion for that lifestyle, or not the outlaw lifestyle, but the biker lifestyle. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so you, when you, especially your first book, you need to know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, you write about what you know. That is the most important thing, especially with the first book. Um, so, so that's what I did. Okay. So, um, you, you just, you mentioned earlier that you just put out uh, a recent book. Have you been able to maintain your writing consistently with all of your health issues? Oh, no, no. Um, no, no unfortunately, um, Illusional reality, and uh, people are asking, so I will say that now in case anyone's listening. There is a book, too. Um, they were actually uh, written 10 years ago. Oh, wow. It's taken that long? No, no. It's um, because I was concentrating on um, the thrillers at the okay. time. Um, I put them aside. Okay. Um, and uh, because I don't write anymore, I don't have the passion. I don't have the motivation. Um, I don't have the uh, focus anymore for writing. I was able to um, 
read through what I'd done, change things and send it to an editor, come back, another editor, until, you know, the book was ready for the public. Um, But for writing itself, no, I I don't know if I'll... I have plenty of stories that need finishing, plenty of novels that are, you know, 30 or 70% done. Um, Whether I will find the love again, I don't know. But, yeah, the illness has, has taken that passion away. The same with reading. I Before I was ill, I was reading, like, 130 books a year. Mm. Uh, constantly with a book in my hand. Um, and, again, I just don't have the patience, the focus, or the passion, or the enjoyment. I don't get it anymore. Oh, wow. Mm. Wow, it's a, it's a shame, you know, if we have a lot of – Material out there that the world is not going to get to experience. I'm, I'm going to uh, speak it to existence that some energy uh, creeps up from somewhere, so Karina can get that out for us to uh, to take but, pleasure. But I mean, that's that's the that's the negative side. Now, would you like to hear the plus side? Oh yes, I would. Well, because I was um, I was retired um, two years ago mm-hmm. from all my illnesses, especially the fibro. Um, the money over here isn't good. I was only working so many years anyway that I was only on the the lowest amount they could give me. Um, so I knew I had to make some some money somewhere else. And um, unless you're a, a number one best-selling author, you can't make money from your writing, from your um, selling books. Um, so I have I've had 20 years' experience with the writing industry. Okay. Um, I narrate, so I started um, doing author uh, assister services. Okay. Yeah, I work as uh, a VA, um, virtual assistant. Okay. I also narrate, and I also design book trailers and other trailers for other um, people that not not necessarily authors. Um, this keeps me busy. How many hours a day? Twenty hours a day. Okay. So I don't have time to sit and sulk and think, oh, woe is me, look what's happened to me. I'm too busy. And I'm too busy enjoying what I'm doing. That is the best thing about it. Awesome. I love it. So much have been taken away from me, but I have got so much back. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. And I love to hear the fire and, and the spunk in your voice, even through all of it. That's amazing. Too cute. Karina, we are at the end of the hour. I have truly, truly had a wonderful time chatting with you today. Um, is there a, a social media, like a Facebook page that people can go to to check you out or keep in touch with you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just just go to uh, Facebook, Karina Gantus author, or Karina Gantus, and I will point you in the right direction. I'm on Twitter as well. That's Karina Gantus. All of my books can be found on Amazon, so please go out, buy a book, support this independent author. Um, and, and have fun uh, reading them. Awesome. Thank you, Karina, for hanging out with me today. Uh, my guest uh, has been Karina Cantus. Uh, that is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week. <music>